Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me this week is Robin Lee Chessie. Howdy. It's just the two of us this week. And um, then there were two, yeah. Yeah, we can slowly whittling down. By next week it'll just be me in an empty room with nobody else That's around. That's what he thinks. <laughs> right. Um, let's jump into the news of the week, starting off with uh, you, Robin. There were uh, you attended a report, or sorry, a report back on a report about scarce skills this week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so SAP commissioned a survey looking into Africa and I guess tech skills and the scarcity thereof. Uh, unfortunately, the report doesn't necessarily make for great reading. Um, SAP, uh, or rather its MD Kathy Smith, is quite optimistic that things can be turned around. Mm. Um, I'm still on the fence because uh, again. Uh, there has to be a lot of will from local business organizations to actually take a risk on inexperienced uh, employees yeah. that don't necessarily have all the tech skills available, but uh, potentially show capacity. But at the end of the day, we're talking about companies that have very small margins as far as taking risks is concerned. And if their projects fail, they lose business. So. I suppose that's like small small businesses and medium enterprises. Well, no, we're talking like larger ones. Oh. Uh, companies like SAP that kind of work with other OEMs and kind of wow. Okay, I wouldn't imagine. Projects. I wouldn't imagine a company like SAP having small margins when it comes to training and. Well, I mean, when you are bidding for these projects, you kind of have to show that you are fair. able to meet the requirements and deadlines and whatnot. So. They're kind of banking on experience to kind of see them through. And those are more expensive and ultimately are rarer. So Fair enough. Uh, as for the kind of figures around the report, uh, SAP wasn't able to share uh, which companies or how many people actually took part in the survey itself. However, uh, it did uh, survey a bunch of companies in South Africa, Nigeria, and Kenya. So essentially the, big, the main tech hubs on the African mm. continent. Uh, we spoke to SAP about this kind of, uh, is there scope to expand the survey down the line? Uh, is this potentially an annual thing? And they said that, sure, there is scope to expand it. Uh, uh, countries like uh, Uganda, uh, there are like really great opportunities as far as digital transformation mm -hmm. is concerned. And it would be interesting to kind of see those numbers as well. Uh, but as far as making an annual thing, it's simply the, I guess the timeframes don't really work out because... Uh, the report from this year wouldn't be far different from next year's report, yeah. for example. So this would probably be something three to five years. Uh, they would kind of release it and kind of see how things have changed, if any changes are actually recorded. Uh, some of the, I guess, concerning figures or stats that were thrown around, 97% uh, of African organizations expect to have a tech skills challenge in 2023. So that's, for all intents and purposes, all. Yeah. Organizations. Unfortunately, they don't really define what a tech skill challenge is. But for a lot of companies, the primary concern in 2023 is going to be upskilling and reskilling yeah. of their employees. So that's one of, I guess, one of the, the key factors. Um, and the other one is that four out of every five African organizations were affected negatively by a lack of skills over the past year. Um, that's rather concerning as well. Yeah, very. Um, we're also seeing, uh, I guess, uh, the rhetoric in South Africa has also been a bit more evident that there is a skills or a brain drain, as it were. Mm. Uh, in the country, people are heading overseas because prospects are simply better. Again, that kind of talks to Sap's point about uh, willing to take risks on younger, inexperienced 
uh, graduates or employees that uh, potentially can develop into the role but don't necessarily have the skills right at the mm. bat. So yeah. So I wonder, I wonder how companies like that are adapting because, I mean, if you're looking, if you're having a skill shortage, we saw during the pandemic a lot of people shipping their or, or kind of moving their services or their needs to remote workers. Um, I wonder why that's not happening as much now. Obviously, I mean, everything's reopening again, but it would stand to reason that rather than having to bring somebody in, uh, you could pay them a competitive salary in their own country while saving money you, you know it just it seems like a weird weird thing that they haven't explored well i think there's contrasting opinions when it comes to remote work or hybrid work mm. um i think if you ask any employee remote work and hybrid work is the way forward yeah um it's just a bit of a management of their time mm. also money when you consider things like travel yeah. Uh, but for businesses, a lot of them are sweating those kind of assets. Yeah. Uh, the property or rent or whatever they kind of they've procured in order to, for a location for their employees to work at. Mm. Uh, they're kind of sweating those now. Um, also, the kind of rhetoric and feedback we're hearing from a lot of executives is that they prefer to have people inside the office because one, it kind of speeds up collaboration. There's mm -hmm. just better interaction overall yeah and they're seeing uh, i guess a longer term benefit than say just being able to uh, have everyone work remotely they're willing to i guess take the risk of bringing more people in to kind of i guess augment that kind of collaboration or kind of just getting projects off the ground and stuff like that okay i mean it's, it's just uh yeah if there's a brain drain happening then uh, maybe we should look at how we are treating those employees and trying to keep them retain them rather well i mean another spaces. great point that was mentioned was almost every big tech company has some kind of csr or csi initiative yeah um whether it be training graduates or whatever what happens after the training yeah they that's enter a good the point and then nothing happens so yeah. again that's really much dependent on companies willing to take a risk and unfortunately the cynic in me doesn't see them wanting to take a risk at all fair point yeah it's just unfortunate so maybe three five years time the think things will change maybe sap will be one of the companies looking to change that um but yeah at the moment there is a severe tech skills shortage. It's and we we've now essentially identified the problem. It's about the actual will to mm. sort it out. Interesting. Let's see how things play out in the next couple of years. Speaking of big tech, uh, today Twitter Blue became available in South Africa. I actually spotted this uh, five minutes before load trading last night at ten o'clock. Um, I went onto Twitter and saw that Twitter Blue was advertised in South African rands. Uh, you can now subscribe to Twitter Blue for prices starting at 144 rand 99 cents uh, per month, or you can get that at a discounted rate of 1,519 rand per year. However, if you take up the subscription through the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, you'll be paying 200 rand a month or 2,099 rand per year. Uh, for that money, you get access to the following features, and I use this term very generously. Um, you get bookmark folders, 
Custom app icons, that's for the Twitter app. You can change the app icon, you know. Uh, NFT profile pictures, themes, a custom navigation bar, spaces tab, top articles, reader, undo tweet, edit tweet, prioritize rankings and conversations, upload videos, two gigabytes in size, tweets up to 4,000 characters long, and uh, I, th I think the most important feature, uh, SMS two-factor authentication. Um, which Elon Musk himself says is very not, not the most secure authentic or MFA multi-factor authentication method. Um, but I mean, it's a sort of blue feature. So, you know, pay extra for that. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think this is a ridiculous amount of money to be paying for a Twitter subscription fee. Um, to put this in perspective, a basic subscription from Netflix costs 99 Rand per month. Um, and YouTube Premium and YouTube Music, uh, which removes all ads from YouTube, costs 72 Rand per month. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and one of the marquee features of Twitter Blue is the ability to see half of the ads which isn't even available as of time of writing. It's advertised as a feature, but it says coming soon. So you're paying 150 bucks at a minimum to still see ads. Um, oh, we just also didn't, uh, forgot to mention the blue checks, right? Oh yeah, the verification mark, of course. Yes, the verification mark, which doesn't mean anything now other than Twitter has verified that you are who you say you are. And are willing to pay to say so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen a few people say that they're going to take this up. Uh, to those people, I say, I also have a clock that you might want to buy. Um, you can't ever take possession of it, but you can say that you own it. Um, the clock is located uh, near the Houses of Parliament in the UK. Um, some people call it Big Ben. I call it Big Charles. Uh, you can have access to it and you can own it for the low, low price of a million rand a month. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to spend 150 bucks on this guy, like, yeah, it, yeah it's just silly to me. There are like 14 features that you read out. Four of them are useful. I mean, edit tweet is, you only have 30 minutes to edit the tweet, um, and undo tweet is the same, and you only have a specific amount of edits. I don't think I've actually ever seen a tweet that's edited or oh, marked as edited. Know, I didn't realize there was a cap on edits. Yeah. I understand the time limit. Yeah, but there's a the cap, cap on how many that, that, edits you can make. That I don't like the sound of. Just, just delete the tweets and start again, you know? Just, just at this point, I don't know. This is all just very, very weird. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out in South Africa. I'm sure brands will be taking up the brand verification. I've seen a couple of brands already uh, take that up, um, including Eskom. Um, but as for private individuals, there's really no point for you to have this... If you think you're famous enough to have it, I urge you to think again. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Twitter Blue is available in South Africa. But um, just on the verification, yeah. the, the, the previous verification method, mm -hmm. that's still... In, that, that still works, right? Uh, I don't think it does, because Musk has said that it is deeply corrupted, that old verification method. But that's... But hold on. Twitter did the verification. Yes. But, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Twitter files. Twitter's bad, but now that Musk is there, Twitter not bad. Okay, I guess, I suppose. Um, yeah, so verification is just them verifying who you are, uh, although you can lose your verification if you change your name, your display name. Um, also, if you break the rules and get suspended from Twitter, they get to keep your, ver your uh, Twitter subscription 
uh, YouTube Blue subscription. Uh, they don't refund you on that. I don't know how it would work if your account gets banned and you have an, a recurring charge going on. Do you have to cancel your card? Yeah, look, I don't... It seems... It seems like all due respect a waste of money. Yeah. Because I initially thought that maybe verification would be worthwhile, but now verification has lost its value. Yeah, because now you just pay for it. It doesn't mean that you are who you say you are. Well, I mean, or claim to be rather. Uh, You could be anybody and you've just gone through the verification process. Cool. I mean, you could be a parody account. And I mean, there's, there are rules of, on Twitter, but I mean... <laughs> I don't understand how they came up with the number. $8 or no, 150 rand a month. Where do you pull that m- number from the ether? How does it... I mean, that's obviously what Twitter's worth. What these features are worth, Robin. No, I thought it was I mean, 50, NFT profile pictures. 54 point two dollars what were the other things a tab for spaces the ability to customize your navigate your navigation bar on twitter a bookmark folder you know the thing that every free browser has twitter you can now pay 150 bucks for that i'm gonna have to say the name now my brother this is a no this is just a no like if you are south african and you buy the and you you get verification I hope that nobody knows you in real life because uh, it's tantamount to walking around with a Rolex in uh, Joburg CBD at midnight. Yeah, I think like Twitter, well, the blue check marks used to carry some kind of like social currency. I think now Twitter blue. It's just a way to figure out who is paying Musk for, I don't know, clout, I guess. Paying for clout. Cool. Um, yeah, if you're interested in it, we urge you to spend your money elsewhere. Maybe get a rechargeable light for load shedding. Get yourself some dinner uh, for load shedding. I don't know. Just do anything other than spend money on Twitter Blue. Just really. There's... Get Netflix. Get Showmax. Or don't spend the money. Save the money. Save the money. That's a better, <laughs> better idea. Save the money. Don't spend it on anything silly. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's available if for those who care and those who have the money. Um, right, let's move on to uh, what we're going to be discussing this week, which is smartphones. And um, we've had two premium phones in our uh, review or on the review desk this week, um, namely the Samsung S23 and then the Huawei Mate 50 Pro. Um, This is a tale of two premium smartphones that could not be any more different. Um, Let's start with you, Robin. Uh, The Samsung Galaxy S23, how was it? Just overview. It's just just very good all around. Um, I kind of mentioned in my review, Samsung has kind of nailed down the process as far as making Mm -hmm. really high quality flagship phones. Uh, You can talk about pricing and things like that, but at the end of the day, it just works and works Mm -hmm. well. Um, S23, the base model is no different. Obviously, uh, there's S23 Plus and Ultra. The Ultra we have in for review as well. We'll yeah. have that review a bit later this month. Um, but the, the base model S23 is really, really good. Um, outside of needing a larger display, uh, I don't, we don't see any reason to kind of upgrade. I mean, uh, the S23 kind of gives you everything you need um, as far as performance is concerned it's running the latest uh, Qualcomm chips 
I'm sure we'll discuss uh, the Snapdragon chips uh, a bit later. Yeah. But it's it's running the the latest chips. Um, the camera setup is not the best that Samsung has. That's reserved for the Ultra. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's, it's still, not bad. Yeah, it's, it's still very good. Um, there's nothing really to to really uh, I guess bash the phone about. I mean, in pretty much every department, it 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 scores really highly. And yeah, I think if you're wanting a phone that is not going to give you any trouble. I, I, I almost think of it like like the VW Golf of yeah. of phones. <laughs> the reli- all reliable. It just ticks all the boxes. It looks it looks nice. Um, the only issues I've had with the phone, and this isn't necessarily the phone itself. It's more what Samsung has chosen to do. Still no charger, and for some reason there is no kind of generic plastic uh, back cover for the phone. Yeah. Um, that seems really odd to me, especially uh, considering the fact uh, that it costs 20,995 Rand at the time of recording. So it doesn't come cheap. Um, so if you are looking at this phone, you're gonna have to start budgeting for a charger and a, a cover, cover of some kind, um, which uh, does suck a little bit. I mean, yeah, at this, at this juncture, um, the play about saving the environment by taking away the charger, Everybody's just calling you on it now, Samsung and Apple and every other manufacturer that does it. Um, for instance, Huawei, who the other device we reviewed, they had a 66 watt charger or 64 watt fast charger in the box mm. with a cable and a back cover. So the fact that Samsung can't do it. Yeah, most Chinese smartphone makers, they include all that stuff in the box. Yeah. And we can argue that, oh, maybe they don't care about the maybe they care about their customers mm-hmm. you know like just because like i'm in a situation now where i don't have a wallboard i'm using an old charger from years ago um but i mean it would just be like i know now if i have to upgrade my phone to a premium tier smartphone um i'm gonna have to buy a charger because also i think you'll be hard pressed to find anyone that uses a phone that doesn't need more than one charger. Yeah. You need a charger at home, you need a charger in your bedroom, you need a charger at, at, at the office. You need a charging cable for your car. Yeah. It's, 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 so I understand that, I understand the argument about e-waste. It's yeah. a valid argument. But at the same time, we are talking about a really expensive piece of hardware uh, with a battery that requires very specific conditions in order to charge properly. Otherwise, yeah. you potentially risk damaging, damaging the battery. But, but I mean, this is all stuff we've, we've spoken about at length. Yeah. Before. So uh, just to turn around, by contrast, uh, we also had the Huawei Mate 50 Pro um, in for review. And unlike Samsung, it's fine. I mean, the camera's decent, the battery life's really good, but Huawei's lack of Google mobile services is a real, real problem. Um, This was the first time that I've used a Huawei smartphone since the bands. Um, which is quite a while, uh, but it was the first time I've, I've experienced the, the phones, and for the most part, it felt pretty normal. Um, there's the Huawei App Gallery, which contains a number of apps, but when you start to look for things that you would find in the Google Play Store, um, you start to realize that they're not as easily accessible through the Huawei App Gallery. So, for instance, we use Geekbench and um, 3D Mark to run benchmarks, for these phones and uh, when I searched for Geekbench I was instead directed to a a website to download an APK 
Um, same thing for 3D, 3D Mark's wildlife benchmark. Um, but then when I went to download an app, uh, YouTube, I saw YouTube in the, the app gallery. I was like, this is weird. Uh, and then I realized that I needed to download another app in order to download that YouTube app. And that app was called Gbox. Now, Gbox brags on its product page that it allows you to use dual accounts for almost all apps spanning social and game apps. So essentially, it's a way to run, it's a sandbox where you can run other applications. Um, the benefit of this for Huawei is that this application has access to Google mobile services. So essentially, you can run all of your Google apps through this Gbox app. I think we should probably mention also that this isn't a Huawei solution. No, it's not Huawei's solution. It is an independent developer. The developer's name is Virtual Cube. Um, and it's, it's just basically a sandbox. Um, the earliest mention I can find of this uh, software is December 2022. So it's very recent, very new. Um, but it concerns me that this app exists because it is running all the time. Uh, the other concern I have is that it requires an immense amount of permissions. So because this is a sandbox running other apps, um, those apps need permissions. So to use your camera, to use location services, to be able to send notifications, whatever it may be. But because Gbox is one app, you have to allow pretty much everything so that any apps installed through Gbox can access those permissions, if that makes sense. Um, and like I said, the problem is that this app is always running in the background. When you lock the phone, it tells you Gbox is running in it's, the background. It's like you have another OS running in the background, the exactly. And it's it's concerning because, I mean, a, an average user, they're not going to sit there monitoring their internet traffic. Um, I'm not even sure the average user knows how to monitor their network traffic. and to be giving this application so much access to so much data that's really really concerning um the downside of this that downside of this is that because you're running these apps in another app uh there's a lot of slowdown in performance so you you kind of have to wait for things to load so opening up youtube you you kind of find yourself waiting a bit longer than you would expect it's not especially bad it's pretty decent for a phone but i mean it's still there's that delay that minimal delay that you feel that's just long enough to annoy you um and yeah it just it just feels fine but not great and for the price of this phone which is like twenty-five thousand rand um it's just not good enough. Um, the other major thing, and you mentioned that we'd talk about chipsets, so let's move to that. Um, the Mate 50 Pro uses Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 4G. Um, a 4G chipset, yes. So the problem here is that all the embargoes on Chinese companies prevent Huawei from accessing 5G tech. So mm -hmm. this chipset seems to have been designed just for Huawei. And also those embargoes are around 5G tech in phones. Yes. 5G routers, perfectly fine. Yeah. But for some reason, 5G phones, yeah, it's, it boggles the mind. It, it's very weird. But the downside of this is that the Mate 50 Pro uh, just doesn't have 5G. And it's really, it, it's a notable uh, omission from these phones. And I understand it's not Huawei's fault. 
but it's still an omission that's really, really noticeable when you have uh, budget smartphones that are bragging about having 5G connectivity. And like I understand this isn't Huawei's fault, but the problem is that they released this phone in a market where I can pick up a 5G phone for less than 10K, and now I can't get 5G on my premium Huawei phone. Yeah, I can, I can guarantee if you head to a local retailer, head yeah. to the store, unless the, unless the salespeople on the floor have been incentivized to sell a Huawei Mate 50 Pro, yeah. they are going to direct you probably to a Samsung. Or, With 5G. Yeah, or perhaps maybe even an Oppo or something like that that also has 5G, has full access to Google Mails, uh, mobile services and everything like that. So this has been the case for the past like two years, maybe mm. even longer. Huawei phones can have great hardware, but there's always an asterisk, and the asterisk is the software. Yeah. And it's just getting more difficult to well, kind of justify it, especially at that flagship price point. Well, now it's also an asterisk next to the hardware, because now you're getting hardware that is kneecapped mm -hmm. because of embargoes from the U.S., like I say, I don't blame Huawei, Huawei for this. This is the U.S. just flexing its muscle. Um, but the fact of the matter remains is that we've got to review these things as we would review any other sort of smartphone. And, I mean, 5G is just... I know it's not ubiquitous in South Africa, but it once you get a taste of it and you're able to access a 5G network, it, it's very difficult to just ignore that you don't have those capabilities unless you have an older smartphone. And it's, also, it's just simple economics. If I've got two phones that are both priced around the same, one has 4G, one has 5G, I'm going to go grab for the 5G. Yeah, so I mean, more, more options is more better. Um, what chipset is Samsung using in their phone, though? Are they using the Exynos or are they also going Qualcomm Snapdragon? They're going Snapdragon across the board, so it's no longer regional where some countries had Exynos, some had Snapdragon, yeah. so it is running the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, that's the latest from Qualcomm, yeah. and that's across the models. So again, with the base model Galaxy S23, you're kind of getting everything you need. The best of both worlds. Yeah, I think all worlds or rather. I think the only to my mind at least, the real selling point to the Ultra would be the stylus. Yeah. The S Pen stylus. Um, they obviously have a massive two hundred megapixel lens, which is bordering on overkill. I I think that's really for like your top tier content creators mm. who are perhaps using that in tandem with some kind of DSLR or mirrorless setup yeah. that they're doing. Um, for a, a quote-unquote Joe six-pack, <laughs> the, the base model S23, and even the S23 Plus with, with the larger screen, yeah. is more than powerful enough, both from a processor perspective and the, um, the camera performance. In fact, the base S23 outperformed the Ultra when we were doing our benchmark oh, testing. Wow. The margins were small, but it, yeah. was, it, it did perform better. I'm assuming that the Ultra perhaps is uh, set up to put a bit more attention on the media side of things. Yeah. So, uh, I was just about to say, they probably have like some of the compute power going towards the camera or to running the stylus engine or the neural network, whatever it could be. Uh, but there's, there's always just some concessions, some, some working there. Um, right. Uh, let, let's chat a bit about cameras because, I mean, Huawei kind of had a, a hold on the market. Um, 
This camera in the Mate 50 has three snappers, a 50 megapixel, 64 megapixel, and 13 megapixel. Uh, then there's a 13 megapixel selfie camera up front. There's also a time of flight sensor. Um, and the uh, marquee feature I use in inverted commas here is that this camera can zoom up to 100 times on a subject. Um, I mean, it's cool, I guess, to show off to friends. Um, the images that you capture aren't very good. They look like they were captured on one of the first smartphones released in like 2004, I guess. Like, I'm talking like the Nokia that had a camera on it and a full color screen. I can't remember what it was. I think we discussed it during when uh, the first Ultra came out. I think yeah. it had a similar 100X zoom. Yeah. And once you go into that mode, every minuscule movement <laughs> It's it's like you're in an earthquake. It looks like on the view. So so Huawei's got this cool little stabilization that kicks in when you go to 100x zoom. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's it's decent enough to be able to like grab a photo without it like looking streaky. Um, that being said, I mean the photo that I captured was of some treetops like quite a distance away, and it doesn't look very good. I think the only I guess useful applications of that was when. Uh, nighttime photography, especially when you're taking like pictures of the moon and stuff yeah. like that, that, that can be quite cool. But again, you have to kind of have it set up on a tripod, have everything really like steady yeah. and stable. And I mean, just at that point, just sellotape your phone to a telescope and <laughs> take photos that way. There'll probably be better resolution anyway. Uh, what's the camera like on the Samsung? Um, again, uh, pretty, pretty solid all around. Uh, there are a trio of lenses on the rear. There is a 50 megapixel wide angle option, and then there's also 12 megapixel ultra wide angle and 10 megapixel telephoto. Um, kind of three lenses is pretty much standard for the mm -hmm. market these days. 50 megapixels isn't, uh, it is large, but it's not necessarily overkill. Uh, yeah, it's not overkill, but also it's not um, anything kind of special. When you look at flagship phones these days, I think uh, the the Qualcomm chipset is doing a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot of uh, mm. really nice predictive autofocus and image stabilization that's happening. So it is very much a point and shoot kind of device. Yeah. The only thing I wish you could do though, um, so you can toggle on and off the 50 megapixel mode. Yeah. But obviously when you go to that mode, your image sizes are going to be huge. Yeah. Um, for me, I want that mode on all the time. Unfortunately, it's something that you have to toggle on every single time. Oh, that's kind of lame. Yeah, well, I guess, again, I'm not necessarily who Samsung might be targeting this towards. Yeah, but I, I mean, if I set a setting, if I set a setting, it should remain on that setting. Unfortunately not. No, man. Come on, Samsung. And they're still using One UI, are they? Yeah. Uh, I think they're up to 5.1, if I yeah. remember correctly. And what's that like? Any? Uh, it's a little bloated as far as duplicated apps are concerned. Oh, really um, now? You can remove and uninstall them, but that's a bit of admin yeah. that I don't really always feel like doing, mm. especially when I'm reviewing as many phones as I am. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of duplication. Uh, I would have thought uh, if the company was kind of deepening their relationship with Google as they say they are, they would just allow more Google <laughs> yeah. Google apps to yeah. kind of be the the de facto the, the native option as opposed to I don't want to use uh, Office 365 Samsung Explorer I want to use Google Chrome yeah um, so that's that's 
the the bloatware surprises me because like when I powered on this Huawei Mate 50 Pro, the first thing I noticed is that there were a lot of apps installed. Except thankfully they weren't installed. They're just kind of shortcuts mm. that when you tap, they take you to the, the uh, Huawei app gallery or to an APK or to Gbox. Um, but it's really, really messy. Yeah, that's straight out of like Chinese smartphone maker yeah. playbook. Xiaomi do the same thing, Oppo do the same thing. And I get it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, hey, look at how many apps we have. Except it just looks so messy. Like, it looked like, I'm not going to lie, it looked like I had gotten a phone after a previous reviewer just had it. Which is bizarre because I went through the process of setting up the phone from, from factory. Um, other thing I want to note is that e, uh, EMUI, MUI, I think that's how you say it, um, 13 looks like it was plucked straight from iOS, right? Like it looks identical from the pull down menu to where all the options are to the settings icon looks like it was plucked from an Apple phone. Um, one thing that I really find annoying, and this is something that's very subjective. Yeah, it's very subjective. And if you use Chinese phones, you're probably used to it by now. But the gesture navigation, just give me soft buttons, <laughs> please. Just let me have back, menu, and home. That's all I want. That's, that's all. I don't want anything else. I don't want to have to like, is this taking me back or is it taking me to another application? How do I access that? It's, it's just very confusing. Um, that, that's personal preference, I understand, uh, but I, I just really dislike it. Um, yeah, it, it's just a, it's a fine experience, the, the Mate 50 Pro, but they're, they're better options, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Better, cheaper options as well. The, I don't want to say sad, but the unfortunate thing is we got this phone, as in we as in South Africa, got it probably six months after it was launched in, in, uh, in China. Yeah. I think even if we got it a week or two after the Chinese release, it's still not packing the right punch. Yeah. And that's not even... Like talking about the, the, the GMS stuff. And I'll, I'll say it, I'm kind of sad about this. I loved Huawei phones. I thought that they were well-priced. When they started to play in the more premium market, I thought that they were doing some really interesting things. They were challenging and pushing the likes of Samsung and LG to be better and do more with their phones. Hell, Samsung had to go and make foldable phones to be like, okay, well, we have to compete somewhere in the market. And the only reason Samsung is now number one in the world is because Huawei just no longer exists. And it, it's really sad to see how far this brand has fallen through no fault of its own. And I understand we can say that, yeah, they cut back on spending on their mobile division, but at the end of the day, that's a result of um, being placed on the entity list in the US and embargoes on Chinese companies doing business with US companies. It, it's really sad to see this from what was one of the biggest smartphone brands in the world to have a, a premium phone arrive on your desk and you're kind of just like, it's fine. But why would you buy this when you could get something that works as you expect it to out of the box? It's really, really sad. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let, let, let's chat a bit about what you would, would you recommend the Samsung S23, Robin? Would you, like let's say that I'm a Samsung fan, I bought the S22 last year, should I buy the S23 this year? If you bought the S22, I'd say no. 
Okay. Uh, Why? Purely for the fact that, again, this is down to iterative nature of smartphone releases these days. Mm. Uh, a year is simply too small a window to see marked differences. Yeah. Um, I think S22 is still well specced, uh, performs solidly, and again, you're not getting a huge boost in across all the board mm. with the S23 compared to the S22. So I'd say hold on to the S22. Okay. Um, that said, if you are on a different brand or you're a couple of years behind or you're, you're, you're three month, I can't believe we're on three month contracts. <laughs> it's, it's up for upgrade and you qualify for S23. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, you're, you, you, you got a pretty safe bet if you go for that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, Samsung is kind of like the dependable one right it's like a vw like you said right yeah. it's like does what it says on the box and Although vw these days isn't necessarily yeah let's not talk about it yeah let's not talk about that um so the huawei mate 50 pro i would not recommend um maybe if you need a phone that takes good photos but then you're probably buying an iphone or you have another camera um yeah, it's just there, there are too many problems. There's too many pitfalls, and like it really also depends on the person. Like, if my father were to come to me and say, "Hey, should I get this Huawei?" No, because there's too many there's too many things that you have to jump through. You have to really understand how Android works, how side loading apps work. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a good handle on your own privacy and your own security habits. Like there's just there's too many pitfalls for me to recommend this phone. If you're somebody who likes to play around with stuff, maybe. But twenty four thousand rand ninety nine. I mean, you can get a cheaper phone and mess mess around with it. Um, yeah, I just I can't recommend this phone. Unfortunately, it's not that it's bad. It's just that there's there's too many bad points against it to too be able buts. to recommend. Exactly, too many buts. It's fine, but. And yeah, we just, I, I can't recommend it in good conscience, unfortunately. Yeah, it is a pity. Like you said, I was a big fan of Huawei phones. They were my daily drivers for a long time until obviously uh, the issues around the sanctions just became untenable and I had to switch to a different ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they can make a comeback, but they, <laughs> they have to get off that list. Yeah, they have to. It. Absolutely. That's the only way to get around it. I mean, unless they... I, I've seen rumors that they want to restart their Kirin um, processor business up again. But, I mean, again, if there's bans on 5G tech being imported into China and being used by Chinese firms, that it's much of a muchness. You know? Also, that's only half of the issues being yeah. solved. Exactly. Um, there's also like the fact that, so I have a friend, this is purely anecdotal, but I have a friend who went to the US, they had a Huawei P30. Um, and when they try to get a SIM card from networks in the US, nobody would sell her a SIM card. Damn. Because, uh, yeah, it was a Huawei phone. They were like, no, sorry, can't sell it to you. Which is just like, imagine going to another country and you have to rely on Wi-Fi to be able to communicate with people. Oh, yeah. Um, so the Samsung Galaxy S23 gets a recommendation from us. The uh, Huawei Mate 50 Pro, unfortunately, does not. Um, and uh, we've got the Galaxy S23 Ultra coming soon, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, I've always found that those phones are a bit overkill, but this one does look rather interesting to me. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how it performs. Yeah, I'm really loving the S Pen. Um, again, 
it's not uh, something that is critical or must have, mm. but when I have it, I use it all the yeah. time. Yeah, it's, it's a nice to have. And I mean, I remember with the Note series, it was one of those things that, like you say, right, it doesn't matter if it's not there, but when you have it, mm. it's really nice to have it and be able to like jot down a note or use it to take a photo. Do they still have that functionality where you can take a photo from a distance? Yeah, uh, the clicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the click. Because I was actually using it, um, again, this is very anecdotal as well, <laughs> just to start planning on renovations in my apartment. So yeah. I'm taking pictures and I'm annotating on that. Oh, that's as cool. As opposed to using my pork sausage fingers. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, really enjoying it at the moment. Uh, it still remains to be seen whether I would recommend it over the 22 Ultra purely for the fact that again it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. pretty a really good phone in its own right as well so yeah okay we'll, well we'll look forward to that um, and uh, yeah keep an eye on Hypertech for some more reviews in the coming weeks um, but yeah that's going to wrap it up from us for this week uh, thanks so much for tuning in from myself Brendan Lost Cheerio from Robin E. Chasey take care everyone we'll see you next week goodbye cheers The number you have dialed is not in service at this time.